maximize your influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 58 of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here with Kurt Mortensen. We're locked and loaded for an episode about the mindset of objections so you can see inside of your prospects' minds. Uh, figuratively, not literally. We have commentary about other random things that we know you really tune in for, and we're happy to be with you. Kurt, how's it going, man? Feeling good and excited to talk about objections, enjoying the start of the fall season, start of the football season, and start of the nacho season. The nacho. There's a nacho season. <laughs> Well, you got to figure out if you're going to watch football, you got to have nachos or something to help with our figure and to get in the point that I talked about food today. Well, I actually have a substantive food update for the listeners because oh, go, th this tell. has been debated on the show before. I was out and about the other day, was hungry, came across a cheesesteak place. For whatever reason, I don't know what overcame me, I tried the kind with the cheese whiz as opposed to the real cheese. And I got to <laughs> say, I wasn't completely grossed out. Well, that will make our Philadelphia listeners very Yeah, happy. I'm pandering to the Philadelphia contingent here. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't too bad. I would choose the real cheese next time, but I, I thought, eh, I got to I gotta try this once. And then, get this, my sister got married over the weekend. Congratulations, sis. And Oh yeah, congratulations. Yep, it was a great wedding, great time. My uncle has this backyard that is like that place called Rivendale where the elves on the Lord of the Rings live. He's got all these waterfalls, oh. and it's crazy. And she had this uh, food truck cub that catered it, and it's these gourmet grilled cheeses. Holy crap. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah, I huh? didn't know you could do that with a grilled cheese. It was just, it was not fair to my waistline. I never stood a chance. <laughs> cheese will do that. It seems like living on the East and West Coast, spending time in Pennsylvania, that the, the division is East Coast is the American che or cheese whiz, and West Coast enjoy their provolone, so... I guess you can weigh in your opinion, but that's the division that I've yeah. seen. But cheese is cheese. Like George on Seinfeld, just sitting down eating a pound of cheese was one of the best things he liked to do. <laughs> yeah, I think he'd feel pretty sluggish after that. I, this was at my uncle's house, and so I had to babysit a kind of our little baby. He got tired of all the people pinching his cheeks. And so I retreated inside, and I was kind of right behind the doorway where my aunt was serving up all these grilled cheese sandwiches. So I was going back for, for all the time. And they had this one called the Nicholas Cage, and it's a grilled cheese with little slices of apple and pulled pork and some other sauce on it, and it sounds weird, but it will change your life. It was so good. <laughs> so this cheese is life-changing, and why do they call it the Nicholas Cage? I don't see a correlation with little apples I don't either, but the name <laughs> sticks, so food tangent well, over. There's our food tangent. What else do we have to talk about? We have some pretty good football games last night. The 49ers lost, and so did the Seahawks. And I want yeah, to sing the San Diego Supercharger song, but I'll spare the listeners. Rooting for the underdog. The people on top get kicked down. I didn't think Seattle would probably lose a game, but hey, you never know. It's the NFL. You never know in college or professional football or any type of game who's going to win or going to lose. It's a combination of mental preparation, I guess, and the coaches and physical preparation and the stars being aligned. I like watching that as opposed to college where you, know, you see these athletes that – you can have a defensive back chasing down a running back in the backfield. 
And if he touches that running back's shoelace, he goes down. I mean, they tackle so well. Whereas in college, you can shed, you know, 20 different tackles. You know, that famous Stanford-Cal game where the band comes on the field, the guy runs up, but nobody <laughs> tackles him. I mean, it's just so much more crisp in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, a little more talent to make that guy. Yeah, yeah, so. Well, let's get into a mindset of objections here, but we're going to do the geeky article moment. Cue it up. All right, here's the sound you like. <laughs> there it is. And I think, I don't even know that I need to ask for this, but listeners, if you like the Steve Urkel sound, maximize your influence at gmail.com. I told Kurt off the air today that if you're going to have a nerd sound, I mean, that's kind of it. I, I think that's <laughs> king of the mountain when it comes to nerd sound effects. But if you have other suggestions, please let us know. But Kurt is going to reveal to you why your teenagers are idiots. Is that right, Kurt? <laughs> Yeah, this is something we've known for a while. And one of the top questions I get in seminars is, well, how do I persuade my teenagers? How do I persuade my kids? And the laws of persuasion still work, but there's some differences in the brain and how teenagers think, as you probably already know. This comes from the University of Iowa. It's titled, Youth Find It Hard to Resist Immediate Rewards. So the University of Iowa investigators found teenagers are far more sensitive than adults to the immediate effect of rewards on their behaviors. So the next time you catch your teenager texting, which is a form of reward, and they're supposed to be studying, they're saying, don't get mad, they can't resist. And I don't know if they buy into that. We got to do some training here. But when teenagers have rewards, there's this draw. It's enticing. They can't handle it, so they say. So... They found out that even when the behavior is no longer in their best interest, they continue to do that because they feel rewarded. It all comes back down to what we've talked about before is the frontal lobe, which is in charge of impulse control or future forecasting, those type of things. And everyone needs to remember that the brain matures from the back to the front. And the frontal lobe, which is part of this, resisting these temptations, is not fully developed, probably till 23, 24, maybe sometimes even 25. So my children know I'm like, uh uh-uh frontal lobe they know exactly what i'm talking about so parents sometimes you can tell your kids you can make decisions for them because their brain's not developed it's fun to do (laughs) but it doesn't always (laughs) but it doesn't always work right and that's just how they think so they're talking about learning distractions taking away their social media when they need to do homework facebook tv and they did some studies to where the interesting thing is they rewarded them for finding different types of rings and they got rewarded money for it and here's the interesting part the next half of the study said, okay, don't find the rings, find the, the diamonds. But they were so programmed to find these rings, they kept finding them even though they weren't compensated for them. So sometimes they found in this type of situation that if you give a teenager a reward, they sometimes they keep going after it. If they feel rewarded, and they've done studies on texting how it does stimulate the reward center of the brain. But sometimes, even though the reward's not there, they keep going and going and going because that's how their brain got wired. And they said that's probably the reason why a teenager may continue to make inappropriate comments in class long after everyone started laughing because I think that trigger that it worked once, they keep doing it and doing it and doing Mm -hmm. it. So the big picture here is when you're persuading a teenager or a young adult, it's all about the now. It's all about the rewards. What's going to happen now? They can't think five, ten minutes, let alone five, ten years down the road, especially with this high-stimulus society we're in, especially with those gadgets in our hand. When that dings, when they know there's an email, when they know there's something on Twitter, when they know something's been posted, that's a reward for them. And it's very difficult for them to concentrate when they hear those sounds or when they know something's on there because that's a reward for that's them. That's pretty interesting stuff. So 
I got one for you. Let's see what you think about this because it's been on my mind and I know my wife will certainly appreciate it. And it, it deals with that frontal lobe and, and consequences and rewards and things like that. We have a, we have a seven-year-old daughter who is extremely strong-willed. She's just nuts, okay? She has been from the second she was born. That's how she was programmed. And she it's her way or the highway. So she has an iPod and likes to watch little Netflix cartoons on it when we let her and stuff. And she's been acting up lately. And so we've been using the iPod as leverage. Whether that's good or not, I don't know. But we've been doing it. <laughs> so, hey, you didn't do this. You didn't do your chores. iPod gone. Well, She's been racking it up so much lately that the iPad's in penalty box for like the next two weeks, all right? And she wasn't getting any better. And I I said to my wife, you know what? I've read this stuff about frontal lobes and consequences. And I think two weeks, that's not even doing anything anymore. She's forgotten that the iPod even exists. We need to go for shorter punishments now because it's still on her mind because it just completely writes the thing off. Well, what do you think about that? Is that me just... uh, imagining things or is that possibly a legitimate theory oh it's absolutely legitimate especially at that age to where it's a new day and there's so many things happening they can forget about it and that's a hard thing as a parent because you said two weeks and you want to stick to that but it might be something where you say hey you know last hour you did so well i want to reward you i'm going to give you 30 minutes back in your ipad to kind of reintroduce that stimulus that feeling to be able to do that so it's not forgotten but you still have to take it back that's part of the punishment. Yeah, yeah, you want to follow through so you don't look weak because, man, kids, are they just not cold-blooded Russian mafia-style negotiators? <laughs> oh, yeah, they know how to push buttons and get what they want. They're great at persuasion. They don't have that many tools, but uh, they're pretty good at what they do as far as pushing those buttons and calling you out on things you said or have Yeah, they said. get the most out of those tools, that's for sure. Well, thanks for that article, Kurt. Useful stuff. And and as always, we'll post a link to it on the blog. You can go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com to see links to the articles and the blog posts and listen to these podcast episodes right there on the website if for some reason you don't want to subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher Radio or something like that, which why wouldn't you? Please subscribe to us on iTunes. You can go there, leave a review. It always helps us. Your honest feedback and your honest opinions about the show, that's what we want. And if you choose to not make them public by leaving a review, just go ahead and send them to us at MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. So with the the formalities out of the way (laughs) there, (laughs) let's get to the mindset of objections. Now, you know what's happening in your head, and I think that we don't give our prospects enough credit sometimes as to how uncomfortable they may feel. I told on the last show that we did about a prospect that wouldn't give me their email address. And mm-hmm. you know, what's, what's happening mentally to people when they're objecting? Because you talked, Kurt, about knee-jerk versus genuine objections and concerns. Can we dig into that a little bit more so that we know exactly what's happening mentally before we get into actually dealing with it? Well, there's two things here I think we need to talk about today. There's the mental aspect of the persuader, right? They need to be in the right place. And the mental condition of the persuadee, what are they thinking about? We've talked about there's a lot of knee-jerk reactions, too expensive, can't afford to talk to a spouse. A lot of times those are lies. But you have to realize what's going on in that brain. And let me just share a study with you that I found fascinating. It was done in Canada by Knox and Inkster. This was at a horse racing track. So they interviewed people before they placed a bet. A few questions and embedded in all those questions was to find out how confident they were in the horse they were betting on. Then after they placed a bet, they got out of line, a few more questions, 
they thought they were finishing up the interview, and another question was embedded there about how confident they were in their decision. So what happened was fascinating. Now, this was before the horse race even happened, that they were more confident in their decision after they put the money down than before they put the money down. And that's human nature we need to understand about objections is that when someone goes into a persuasive situation, they are looking for every reason they shouldn't do it. And you get these knee-jerk objections. What about this? What about this? What about this? But once they find one reason that it's good, they're looking for every reason why they should do it. Just like when they put that money down on the horse race, their mindset is they make good decisions. They're going to win. It was the right choice. They feel more confident in their decision. And so with objections, if you're getting a lot of objections, they haven't found any reason why they should do it. The what's in it for me, the return on investment, they can't see themselves doing it. A lot of objections come from people just mentally can't see them using the product, doing the business, working with you, working with the product, having to learn a new product. And they throw out all these knee-jerk objections. And a lot of times you need to find just one reason why they want to do it, then from there their mindset changes and the objections are reduced dramatically because now they're looking for every reason why they should do it. So how do we get them there? How do we get them mentally deciding, hey, this is happening? And that's the key. That is sales persuasion 101 to where you can get in and ask the right questions. What does the perfect solution look like to you? If a genie appeared and made everything right, what would that look like? What does a perfect home-based business look like to you? And find the things they're really interested in. That is your key. Because most people come and vomit hoping one or two things will stick. But when you ask the right questions, they'll tell everything you need to know to persuade them. Because those objections, you haven't given them anything. You're giving them the things you like about your product or service. But that might not be the things that they like about their product or service. And if you can ask those right questions and really find the one or two things that are important, hit on those, make sure they're excited about it. And a lot of times, that's all they need to know. Seal the deal, get the contract signed, and moved on. Everything else you want to tell them is a bonus. I see too many persuaders say, well, wait, wait. They're ready to get going. Say, wait, I haven't told you everything yet. That will suck the life out of the presentation. That will ruin the emotional appeal of the product or service and really suck the life out of the whole persuasion process. I think, too, the painting the picture is one thing that gets people to start mentally committing and deciding, hey, I'm going to do this and get into that state of mind where they're doing what you said. They're looking for reasons as to why they should do it. And I, I found in the past is when we do this or when I list your house for you or when you take the product home, you're going to see and, and you really lay this out so that part of the future is, is this easily imagined and clearly painted picture of, doing business with you. Uh, because that confusion, if that doesn't start to come together mentally as to what that's going to look like, the, the confused mind says uh, no, as we've, we've said many times on the show. And therefore, they're looking for reasons to make you go away, are they not? They are. And what you mentioned, the, the presupposition in NLP or neurolinguistic programming is powerful because the way you talk, you're just assuming that they're going to take the car, they're going to do it, they're going to buy the home. And then you could do that with words and you can do that physically. And we see this in real estate all the time. Okay, where's the grand piano going to go? Where are going to put the play set? Or even worse, and this is almost a crime, hey, kids, go pick out the room you want. <laughs> and all of a sudden it becomes reality so they can see it. So you could do that with words. You could do that physically. You can do that mentally. Then they can see themselves using it because let's take home-based business, for example. Well, it's great. You could make this much money and it feels good. But if they can't see themselves doing marketing or talking to their family and friends, 
nothing I say is going to matter. Yeah, good point. Good point. So what else do we need to consider? Is there anything else you would tell the listeners to understand about what's happening mentally when an objection occurs? The key thing to understand is that, again, they're looking for every reason why they shouldn't do it. They're afraid of making that mistake. Everyone wants to postpone that decision. So anything you could do during this process to speed that up, to help them make a decision now will go a long way. Everyone's afraid of getting taken advantage of. Everyone's afraid of making a bad decision. So if you could build that trust, become the expertise, ask the right question. And here's a key factor too, when we talk about the mindset of the persuader, is don't get all offended when they ask you a question. It's nothing personal. A Harvard study showed that it's the psychological qualities of a persuader that make the biggest difference, that they realize that rejection is not personal. Just because they have a question or an objection, it doesn't matter. That's actually a good thing. It indicates interest. And your demeanor should not change when you go into close. Your demeanor should not change when you're answering an objection. And you have to welcome it. This is a good thing. Don't take it personally that you explained it 10 minutes ago. Don't get upset that they're having that objection. And realize, very, very important, that I found through research, and this is hard to explain sometimes, but the reality is the objection you get the most is the objection you still have. Ooh, profound. And that's important. If you keep getting it's too expensive, you don't believe it's worth it. That might be the objection that scares you the most. It might be the objection you still have, but you're somehow manifesting it that you're going to get it. So you better become a product of the product. You better decide that it is worth it and turn it around because a lot of these fears, your audience is going to sense it and it's going to trigger more objections. Good stuff. Good stuff. Thanks for clarifying. So next week, we're going to get into solving those objections once they've come up. And I agree with you. It's when those objections come up, that's good. The worst kind of prospect you can have is one that's apathetic. that just sits there and goes, eh, eh, doesn't say anything, doesn't do anything. <laughs> I mean, it gives you no place to go. It gives you nothing to do. But if they're going to object to something, at least you know, okay, here's where I'm weak and where I need to make up for things. Because people are going to get emotional if they're about to make a decision. That has to happen. That's what gets people to commit to things. And if somebody isn't, you just can't get them there. Uh, I don't know that you're going anywhere at all. So, Kurt, let's go ahead and cue up the Homer. Bring on Homer. Don't, don't, don't. So I've got this one. There he is, our pal Homer. And uh, this was, a, you know, sometimes people use bad techniques. Sometimes they use tacky techniques. This is probably a little bit of both. So, Kurt, you and I have a mutual acquaintance that uh, referred somebody to me. And he called me up. He said, hey, I'm referred by so-and-so. I, I need to talk to you. And I'm thinking, uh, what's going on? <laughs> right? My guard immediately goes up. If you leave me a message and you don't tell me a real quick explanation as to what it's about, the defenses are up, right? The spikes are out because I'm going, what's wrong? Or what are you up to? Why could you not mention briefly in one sentence what you want to talk about, right? Now, I don't know if that's a me problem or if that's a problem... Uh, anytime anybody leaves a message, but it's not the blunder in this case. So, well, it turns out, guess what it was, Kurt? MLM pitch, pyramid scheme, coming <laughs> at me. Very important that he talked to me and uh, goes on about... Was the car in the driveway with the engine still running? Yeah, it's just nuts. <laughs> he starts hitting me with all this stuff of, you're going to be one of the very top, or you know, you've got to do this, you got to get your people. And he says to me, uh, what kind of business are you in? Until I'm in real estate. Oh, oh yeah, that's real tough right now. That's real tough right now. It was all I could do, Kurt, to say, 
is it 2008? Because real estate's not that tough right now. It's pretty good business to be in. <laughs> yeah, here's a person that knows nothing about real estate telling you who's in real estate that it's uh, bad. Yeah, I was uh, kind of insulted and offended. Of like, okay, pal, you don't know what you're talking about, A. And B, you know, trying to tear down what I'm doing right now and make me feel crappy about it, so I'll do your revolutionary MLM. Not the best tactic. So he's our featured blunder of the day. Congratulations. That was completely horrible. Man, that, that's a challenge with network marketing. And I think network marketing is a great income stream. And but the challenge is like you brought up, there's so many cheesy, old style, weak, underhanded techniques that have been taught over the years that these people have ruined it for the people that uh, have legitimate thing, ways to increase your income. And that's probably the one industry next to what are the other ones, timeshare and used car that's going to come up because I don't know where they come up with some of these techniques, but a lot of them are like, woo. And, that is blunder. Yeah, they make it bad for everybody else because timeshares. I could see where you would you could conceivably need a timeshare. I mean, some for some people that works. Used cars too, attorneys too. Unfortunately, sometimes we need an attorney and uh, MLMs. There's some people that that's going to work great for, and it's going to be a very viable, profitable home based business. Hey, my stepmother, she just makes a mint in a multi level marketing company. She does great with it. And uh, yeah, they just got this weaselly stuff over the years that created a bad impression. So if you're in one of those businesses, I mean, that's one of the things that you you know all too well that's a struggle for you right from the outset is the people that have gone before you have made it a pretty choppy, uh, rough road. And that just ties into the objections too, because a lot of new people in network marketing aren't conditions, don't understand. They're all excited about the opportunity to talk to Uncle Frank and Uncle Frank says, well, it's a pyramid scheme, which we know is not true. It's a knee-jerk reaction. It's just... That person's not educated about it. But then that person is all offended. How could they? And they just end up the rest of the time in their closet offended because they didn't know how to handle that objection. They didn't do it the right way. And it was a downward spiral from there. You know, I saw that pyramid scheme objection. This was probably a year ago. And it was all over the media. There's a uh, multi-level marketing company out of uh, Idaho called Herbalife. And... They are a public company. They're traded on the stock exchange. And this big hedge fund manager, I was his name Bill Ackman? I can't remember. But Bill Ackman, I believe, was one of the guys involved. It was two different. It was the, the CEO of Herbalife and this hedge fund manager doing battle over the press. They're getting on CNBC, Fox Business every morning, you know, bagging on each other. Herbalife CEO saying, we're an excellent company. And the uh, hedge fund manager saying, they're horrible. Come to find out, this guy was shorting Herbalife stock massively. <laughs> and so what was he saying? He's saying, it's a pyramid scheme. There's no real product. There's nothing happening here. He was using these same objections that your Uncle Bob does uh, when you take these kinds of things home. So it was pretty interesting to see it play out in the, in the media like that on such a large scale. And that's important, listeners. When you hear pyramid scheme or too expensive, talk to a spouse, send me more information. Those are knee-jerk reactions. And they're not real. They just can't see themselves doing it. You haven't given them enough information. You haven't found them what's in it for me or the, or the return on investment. So these are thrown out to you so fast that it makes a huge difference. And I got a call the other day, just a, it was a telemarketer on the phone trying to sell me something. I want to see how good they were. I just threw something out there. It didn't even make a lot of sense. And they gave up and they were done. And <laughs> that's the sad thing. Go for the objections or a good thing. They indicate interest. They're going to help you out. Don't take it personally. Smile. It's a good thing. Because like you mentioned, the worst thing is an indifferent audience. Give me a hostile person anytime 
over someone that's just sitting there indifferent because at least the hostile person's thinking exactly. About it. Well, Kurt, anything to add before we wrap up the show for this week? Well, one thing we hear time and time again is that with objections, with closing, with sales, with persuasion, some will, some won't. So what? Who's next? I think there's a lot of great truth to that. But remember, people buy for their reasons. Find their reasons. Don't do a data dump. Don't list the 72 reasons why they should do that. Because people don't want to be sold, but they love to buy. They love to be involved. They love to solve their problems when they purchase. And when you can have that in mind, just because there's two or three things you like does not mean that's what they like. So just like that Knox and Inkster study, if you can find one or two things that they're excited about, their mindset will change. You'll see a change in their demeanor. Now they have found the one thing that's going to solve their problem. They found the solution and everything after that. They are looking for all the reasons why they should do it because there was that shift in that mindset instead of the first part where they're looking for every reason not to do it. Great info as usual. We appreciate it. Everybody, like I said earlier in the show, send us your feedback to maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com. And I think Kurt is working on real email addresses so that evil Google will not be reading all of our emails. Is that right? (laughs) That is correct. Okay, good. Good. So we're looking forward to that, uh, getting comments from you. Nominate your ninjas, nominate your blunders, and please subscribe to the feed on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio, and we will catch you next week. See you next week. 